is the beginning of the second part of the series looking at the life of Peter. We're going to largely spend our time in the book of Acts over the next eight weeks. And the book of Acts is a fascinating introduction to what the spirit-led life is all about. And so when we read the book of Acts, we find ourselves asking the question, is this book called the book of Acts because it's the Acts of the apostles or is it actually the Acts of the Holy Spirit? Well, I'd like to think it's the latter. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit that the apostles find themselves being immersed in. And so over the coming weeks, what I'd like us to do, we've asked, uh, I've asked to set aside some time in the service to do just this. We're going to take two minutes in each service to pray for each other along the themes of the, of the title of the message. So today you can see the title of the message is All Things Are Possible. So I'm going to ask you to not sit in silence but to turn to the person next to you. And if you don't know each other, I'm sorry, that might be a little bit awkward, but just want you to pray for the other person about something that maybe you could name it as something you're struggling with or whatever it is that's on your heart, but praying in this whole area of all things being possible for God. Would you do that? See how we're going to move around this wheel of prayer in the weeks ahead? So would you take that? We're going to put some music on. I want to give you two minutes, pray with the person next to you, pray with your spouse, your daughter, your kids, whoever's with you, your friend, and uh, we're back with you in two minutes. What is it on your heart? All things are possible for God. Thank you. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the Understanding that you're the God of the impossible and that when we struggle with what it is that we see in front of us that we would be bringing this to you in prayer and inviting you into what can often seem like a really big mess. So Father, please help us as we open out the scripture this morning, as we look at more intently at Peter's life and we see the circumstances around his life and what you led him to do and be part of that we also can see ourselves in this way. So I pray your blessing upon our time, not only today, but in the weeks ahead as we look at Peter. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, over the last eight weeks, we've looked at um, Peter, the, Peter the follower. Peter the follower. Peter the, the follower, I suppose, we would probably be more accurately calling him Peter the disciple. And um, he's very quickly now going to learn how to be Peter the apostle. And so, um, here we go. 
That's all right. It was just to wake you up. I just was sermon partway through, so wake you up. Um, Peter the Apostle. Peter the Apostle has um, got a lot of learning to do. Why? Because Peter the disciple was a very frightened man when we last saw him. Frightened because he had discovered that he was actually struggling with probably fear. Didn't want to own that he knew Jesus outside of that time of trial that Jesus was going through. He denied Jesus three times. Uh, Peter found him at the Lake of Galilee and there he restored him, told him to go and feed my sheep. Now, when you're told to go and feed the sheep, it's pretty generic, isn't it? Unless you're a farmer, okay, and got a heap of sheep. Well, Peter wasn't a farmer and uh, he, had, he had, uh, had fish as his main target when he was out fishing. And so here's Peter being told that there are times and things coming in his life, but he didn't really know what it all meant. And you've really got to own this confusion that Peter had, this confusion that he would have had as he looked into the future of what his life would be. All right. So we're going to start by looking at the first few um, passages in the book of Acts. And uh, then we're going to have a look at the prophet Joel. And we're going to start to see how all of this starts to merge and tie together to an event we call Pentecost, when Peter discovers this mystery of God that is going to be revealed to him at this time. So here we are looking at this book of Acts. It's written by Luke. Luke also gave us the gospel of Luke. And he says here, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach, and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so here all of a sudden there's something new on the horizon that um, Peter wouldn't have had a clue was really what was going to happen. I mean, if you're sitting there essentially fearful that your best friend is abandoning you, Jesus, leaving you, and you're told, don't worry, it's okay, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and you go, what? What does that mean? How does that work? Baptized with the Holy Spirit. I might be aware of the Spirit of God, but what does this all mean? And then Peter, uh, probably with this fear and look in his eyes, uh, he is told again by Jesus a very similar story. It says here, Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well, again, this is another time that Peter is being told that he's going to receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit. He knows something's got to happen if this message of Jesus is going to continue, but it has to happen in a way that's going to strengthen him and bring him to a place where he has never been before because if we're to rely upon his human strength, and we've already seen his human strength, haven't we? We've seen how abysmal that is. 
There's not much going to be built upon his courage, not much going to be built upon his wisdom. But that in itself is an invitation for us all to understand that the events that are going to happen next are amazing, truly transformational, and truly history-changing. And so there's a sense in which, as you read this book, that the, the anticipation is palpable. A little bit like last night waiting for kickoff. Anybody watch the game? Yeah? Of course we did. And, um, well, I assume you did. Okay. Anticipation, building towards something. So here is Peter knowing that something's going to happen, but he doesn't know what's going to happen. And I really want you to feel this. Um, this there's a sense in which spiritual life with God is about to change forever. Now, I'm going to stop here for a moment because before we start jumping into looking at Pentecost and all that it means for us today and what it meant for the church 2,000 years ago, we need to understand that spirituality has been part of the Israelites' life for a long time. Okay, starting with Abraham, he was called onto a spiritual journey. He was told by God that he should follow him. And in the following him, this spiritual journey begins. It's a story of faith. And that's where spirituality connects with the, the Jewish faith and, and the Christian. It's a sense in which we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, but if I can just trust God for today, I can take that next step and God will open up the doors in front of me. However, one of the things I want us to look at before we go down this track too far is that spirituality is not all coming out of the same place. All right? Because it's very trendy to talk about spirituality in today's environment. Spirituality is something that we're supposed to have because it's cool, it's trendy, and it's supposed to do you some good. All right? But a lot of people, you ask, well, what's spirituality to you? And they're like, uh, sort of like the flowers, you know? But for others, they're a lot more intentional about it. And spirituality is um, uh, something that is pursued in a way that um, it causes them to have some form of identity and place and purpose. And I'll explain this by looking at Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy, we're told that spirituality is not all equal. There's positive spirituality and there's negative spirituality. So when God was talking to his people about spirituality in Deuteronomy, he said this about the people who were already in uh, part of the land that God was going to give them. He said this, When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who is medium or spiritist, or who consults the dead. So here we are being told straight away that there is a negative form of spirituality that you should not engage with. And these things people poke around with, they play with. You know, it's not uncommon for people to go to a medium or a spiritist and have um, their future foretold or something along those lines. And yet God right at the outset has said, this stuff is negative and it's not what you should be engaged with. In fact, it brings curses upon you. Uh, and you say, well, how does that bring curses upon me? Well, in a very, very simple way, let me give you an example of what I had happen to uh, a member of my own family, uh, not my immediate family, but a cousin of mine. Long time ago now, um, she went off to, to a medium who um, told her her future and uh, told her that she would divorce her first husband. So how do you get married? 
How does that work? When you get told you'll divorce your first husband, are you going to get married when you know that this, this thing's going to just lead to a whole lot of pain? Can you see, can you see, what I'm, see what's happening here? Now, that, that is a curse. That's what a curse looks like. It affects your, your life in a negative way. And uh, it took her 30 years to work that through. 30 years to work that through. Never had kids and finally did get married and is happily married. 30 years to work that through. So you can see how a curse comes upon somebody when somebody from a negative space, from a, uh, maybe a demonic space, tells somebody what's going on in their lives or what could happen. That's why we're not to consult these folks. That's why God is trying to protect us. And he goes on, makes it very, very firm. He says, anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. Because of these same detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. You must be blameless before the Lord your God. So I just want to lay that down because I'm going to come back and talk about it in a few minutes. Because <clears throat> when we're talking about the Holy Spirit and we're talking about a spirituality which is uh, God-centered, God-focused, we can't sort of pour salt water and fresh water into the, into the bucket and expect to have fresh water. You don't get it. It's salty. It's brackish. Uh, it's unclean. It's impure. All right. Now, the other thing I want to do is uh, talk about the prophet Joel. Joel gets a mention in a few moments' time. But Joel, his words were the words of a prophet. And that means that 800 years before this time that we're going to be talking about in Pentecost now with Peter, 800 years ago, he had anticipated a time when God was going to do something new amongst his people. All right? So for 800 years, the nation of Israel has had this high expectation that God is going to show up and do something extraordinary. And when you're living with 800 years worth of expectation, that starts to build up, I suspect, in a way that's like, wow, will something finally happen, please? And when you think about all of this expectation, and here it is going to be lumped and dumped upon this guy called Peter, a humble fisherman, we start to see this cataclysmic event that's going to culminate here in a few minutes in Scripture, right? 800 years of history, this big wave of expectation from the prophet Joel of God going to pour his spirit out upon all people. And Peter's right there in the middle of it all. But let's have a look at this prophecy of Joel first. Be glad, people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn rains because he is faithful. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains as before. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. Sounds like a good, good time, eh? Good time. Farmers are doing well. Fonterra's paying out. Okay? I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locusts and the young locusts and the other locusts and the locusts swarm. Now, that could be an army. We're not sure. It could be literally locusts. The commentators are unsure. Uh, my great army that I sent among you, you will have plenty to eat until you are full and you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Now I want to think of that word shamed because it comes up in a moment again. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God and that there is no other, that there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. So it's twice now, in just a matter of few sentences, that the prophet Joel says, you're not going to be shamed. Now, shame is a, an enormous thing for a nation to carry. 
Okay, it's an enormous thing for an individual to carry. And the reason why I want to raise it is because for the last two weeks, we've been looking at the shame that Peter experienced when he disappointed God and he disappointed himself through fear and through lack of understanding. And what I explained to you over those weeks is that you are not the sum product of what everybody thinks of you. You're not the sum product of what it is that you think of yourself. You are the sum product of the way God has made you, created you, and has hopes and dreams for you. You're made in the image of God, and shame should not be defining you. Really, really important. So here is Israel defined by their shame. But God has something for them. In the same way, Peter, you're not to be defined by your shame, and none of you should be defined by your shame. God has something for you. And what is it? Let's have a look. And afterward, Joel said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance. As the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. So here's this fantastic prophecy that's had 800 years to build up. This momentum, like this tsunami that's just building, building over 800 years. Where people have said, one day that prophecy is going to come true. God is going to cause his sons and his daughters to prophesy. Old men will have visions. Young men will have visions. Old men will have dreams. Okay, it's a way of measuring how old you are. If you have more dreams and visions, you're getting older. All right? All right. And so this is a fantastic event, but no one knows really what it looks like and no one knows when it's going to happen. Jesus said to the disciples, just wait. Wait in Jerusalem because there's a time coming where you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And this is what starts to happen. So let's turn now to the book of Acts, something I know we've all read before. I suspect, but here the church is born. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Let's just stop here for a moment. Remember, Peter is there. He's called to interpret something that he's never seen before. He has no idea what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. But all of a sudden, there's this wind, and it's loud, and tongues of fire start to separate and physically fall upon people. And all these people were from Galilee, and they start to speak in in these different languages, languages that were known. And in doing so, they started to speak praise. They started to praise God in languages that they'd never spoken of before. And so it's a very powerful thing that's happening. And Peter is probably part of it. He's maybe himself speaking in a different language. But at the same time, he'll be having a head in two spaces. He'll be going, I'm experiencing this, but what does this all mean? Okay. And so this is all happening in real time. He doesn't have a chance to go away and have have a little meeting about it. He's got to interpret what God is doing. 
Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hear, hears them in our native language? So they were blown away by the fact that these people who didn't speak their language were now praising God in a language that they didn't learn. Now, I, I spent some years learning to speak French. Uh, didn't really help much, okay? Uh, so here's a sovereign gift of a language that is understood by people in the immediate area. And it's, it's a real introduction to us of what it means to actually be a servant of God because what we're being told here is that right at the outset, right at the beginning of any connection with God, with the Holy Spirit available, praise and worship, is a way into understanding the mindset of God. Okay, so it's that opening place that Pentecost begins with. Praise and worship is what's happening here. Uh, it's not, hasn't got music, hasn't got video, hasn't got overhead transparency, but praise and worship. Okay, so that's, that's important for us to understand. We don't do praise and worship here in church just to help you because you're late getting out of the car park, you know, and sort of like, well, the service hasn't really begun because the music's still playing. Which is, which is what I've heard of it. Um, so the tongues are a witness to the nations. They're a witness to the nations, and it's the first sign that Pentecost has happened because it's a miraculous bringing together of people who haven't spoken in these languages before. So <clears throat> here we are in the middle of a scenario that's being outworked right in front of Peter. And... Um, <clears throat> And they're trying to work out what is going on. But the question that I want to ask us is uh, is this. Is this all about, is this the God who was and did or the God who is and does? Now, I've raised this before, some couple of years back. But I think it's a really, really important question. You see, Scripture is about the God who was and did. You can become very, very familiar with Scripture. You can become a, a biblical historian and you spend your years studying the God who was and the God who did. Yeah? And, and, and look, you, you know, people would value that and appreciate that. But what's happening for the Apostle Peter now is that that prophecy from Joel, which was basically the God who was and did, this is stacked up and it is now falling upon him, and the God who was and did is now the God who is and does. He has become powerful and present right here in the moment. And often we believe God for the miracle, but we'd like him to work through somebody else. Yeah? We'd like God to have, uh, you know, a word for us or a miracle to perform, but if somebody can just be doing that for me, that would be helpful. So what's happening for Peter is that God has become immediate and present. He has become powerful and he's become not the, no longer the God of history, but the God who is happening right here, right now. And Peter is called to interpret this. He's called to interpret it. And so here is this humble fisherman, this scaredy cat fisherman, somebody who has, we know really well now, uh, isn't going to get any bravery awards, Right? He's already done a runner from, from Jesus, his best mate, at a time of his vulnerability. But Peter speaks to the crowd. 
Now, that in itself would have been challenging. We're going to find out that there are thousands of people here. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Now, this is pretty remarkable, isn't it? When you think that in the moment, Peter is now interpreting the whole Jesus story into just a handful of sentences. And he summarized it by saying, look, the end of the day, Jerusalem, you crucified Jesus, but death couldn't hold him. Death couldn't hold him. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. <laughs> and uh, the book is really a couple of chapters long, this story. And in the middle of it, Peter goes on to take the prophecy from Joel and interpret it, saying, this is the season, this is the time when the Spirit will baptize you all, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will have dreams, your young men will have visions. I'll pour my Spirit out on all flesh. Okay, no demarcation, difference between slave or, or master, no difference between young and old, no difference between men and women. And as we can see by virtue of the different languages, there was no demarcation with respect to nationality either. Okay, so as far as we can tell, the Spirit has been poured on every person, every representative of the human race. Nothing held back. Okay, and so we can quite, quite easily say, quite readily say, that the church is born. And it's here that I want to <clears throat> focus for a little while because um, what I want us to understand is this transition that's gone on in Peter's life. We're focusing on Peter here. Peter's the guy who we were very disappointed in. And yet here he is leading the church, leading the charge. From a guy who rejected Jesus to someone who would become the head of the church. And it's still seen within the Catholic circles, the head of the church, the, the first pope. And it's something that we struggle to get our heads around because we're not sure exactly how this can happen to a normal human being. But it's only the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that actually made this happen, and this is the difference. And for each one of us, we've got to make sure that we're not limiting God to our own experience. How big is God? Well, my experience is that God is this big. Does that mean God is only that big? No. But if you believe that the God of the Bible is the God who was and did, then you'll never believe that God is the God who is and does in your own life. And this is where the journey of faith 
begins. This is where the experiences that we have with the Holy Spirit are so vitally important because just like Peter had the Holy Spirit break into his life and completely radically change not only his own life, but the world as we know it, because the power of God was on the move, we too should be leaning into God to experience more and more of what he has for us. And that doesn't mean that um, somebody else has to do it for you. This means that you too, if if the word of scripture is true, then you are the sons and daughters of God who will have dreams and visions, prophesy, speak in new languages, and the gifts of the spirit that we find in 1 Corinthians are available to us. My own Christian walk began when my wife Michaela uh, got healed during a church service. She turned up at the Mount Monganui Baptist Church. Uh, She had a a really bad back problem, had had it for months, could barely walk. And um, this guy asked if he could pray for her. She, she She got prayer and people around her could hear all the bones creaking and cracking, okay? And uh, at the time, I was, I was engaged to marry her. And I was like, oh, my goodness. What does this mean? You know, I thought she had had a, well, I knew she'd had a Catholic background. So I thought, oh, boy, she's going to become a nun. That sort of writes, <laughs> <coughs> sort of writes me out of the picture a little bit. Um, <clears throat> but uh, it set me on a, on a journey, obviously, for Michaela. The, the miracle of, of having something like that divinely happen to her just just was like Peter's life was completely, radically transformed, yeah? And so <clears throat> I know for myself, when I became a Christian and I was going to church at the Automotai Baptist Church, that was where I was, spent my formative years as a young Christian, I can remember going up to an elder in the church after a service one time and I said, look, I've been reading in the book of Acts how believers prayed in Tongues, different tongues. I said, is that a gift that you can get today? The guy goes, yep, sure is. I said, great. Can you pray for me for that to happen? He goes, yep, sure it will. So he prayed for me and nothing happened. And then he said, "Um, uh, the Lord's shown me that um, this will happen to you some other time in the next week or two. And I was like, yeah, good one. Uh, Yeah, that gift of cynicism was really uh, quite high. Um, Anyway, as it happened, as it happened, um, one night in our home, um, Michaela was pregnant with our oldest child, and um, I got woken up in the middle of the night, and there was just this heaviness in our home. It was it's just that glunky sort of horrible feeling, and you're like, something's not right here, you know? So I was walking around the lounge just praying, and, um, and next thing I hear Michaela in the bedroom, and she was making all these weird noises. And uh, I go in there and she was, she could barely breathe. And I could feel this heaviness in the room, you know, it was all over, over her. And it was like, I look back now, I know, I know what was happening. She was being attacked spiritually, right? But I didn't know what to do, you know, I was sort of like, <laughs> you know, what do you do? Oh, this is not new to me, uh, you know. The only attack I'd ever had is in the front row of a rugby team. And, you know, I knew what to do then, but this is spiritual. What do you do? And so I was looking at her and, and, and I decided to pray. And then out of my mouth came this other language I'd never experienced before. And immediately this oppression just lifted and she sort of started breathing again. And, um, and the whole atmosphere changed. And she was like, wow, isn't God good? And I was like, check this out. <laughs> you know, 
so I was speaking in this language that I'd never spoken before. So God, God had given me the gift of tongues, but it was in a time of need. It wasn't sort of for me to have it as a, like, a, like a pink balloon for just showing off everybody. You know, look at, look at my new gift. It was something that he gave to me in the time for a need. And so for me, that was a, a radical transformation in my understanding of spiritual life and the immediacy of God's power and presence in a time of need. Yeah, does it make sense? Does it? does make sense. You see, Peter was the first witness to the work of the Spirit. And the work of the Spirit in our lives is something that is just so vitally important. Yet it's very easy to, um, well, it's very easy just to go down that track of God being the God who was and did. Yeah? Yet for each one of us to be on the front foot of our faith, we're wanting to be able to see the God who is and does. Now, I know for Brittany and myself, as we head off to do this Camino, we've, we've, we've prayed together saying, God, give us the opportunity to be able to be a blessing to other people. You know? Now, there's practical things to that. You know, it could be a practical blessing. Okay? So I've thrown a whole lot of blister kits in my backpack because I know that I will see more blisters than I ever want to on other people's feet. I've been grateful I haven't had any over the years doing this, but I know that I can be a blessing. You know, and um, and so I'm just looking for opportunities for that to happen. I remember the first time I did the Camino, um, I Michaela was uh, had hurt her leg, and so she had, had actually had to get a bus a couple of days just to give her leg a rest. And so I was walking with this guy that I'd met the night before, a guy called Nathan. Nathan was from Seattle. Uh, he was 32 at the time, would have made him about 20 years older than me, and. Uh, <laughs> What did I say wrong? <laughs> yeah, he was 20 years older than me. I was, he was, yeah. So he was 32. So anyway, he was about six foot five and a um, real big guy, real monster of a guy. Did I say 20 years younger than me? Okay, 20 years older than me. I was 20 years older than him. <laughs> I'm trying to get it right. I need to go on holiday, don't I? Clearly. <laughs> Anyway, um, the whole story is that we walked together for two days, two days, and uh, he shared his life with me. I told him within the first 10 minutes what I did for a living, and I was a Christian, I was a pastor of a church. Anyway, about an hour before the end of the last day of our walking, he finally told me that he'd spent his life as a missionary kid, all right? And um, he was basically on, on, a, on a runner from God. And, uh, and the Camino for him was an opportunity just to try to see if this God is real or not. And so he took him essentially two days before he could trust me with that story. Because in the trusting me, what he actually doing was saying, I, I now trust you enough with this part of my story, knowing that you're a religious fella. And at the time I thought, here I am, it's taken me two days to be an answer to his parents' prayers. I can guarantee you that. And, um, and so Nathan and I had this huge talk over the next day or so as he unpacked all of the stuff from his childhood about the, the, you know, the things that he'd experienced, the positive and the negative, and it was the negative that was holding him back. And we just talked it through, and, and, um, and it was another funny occasion. Um, he talked to me about this this uh, girl that he had been going out with for ages. And, um, 
and he'd just broken up with her. And, uh, and, and the funny thing was, at a barbecue just before I left, Adam Yates, one of our, um, <clears throat> our elders, came up to me and we were talking about music. And he said, I've got a really cool song that I've just heard. It's by um, a guy who's got a group, this group's called Passenger. Okay? And the song is Let It Go. Anybody hear that song? Yeah? Some of you have. Anyway, here I am, very uncool, 20 years older than him. 20 years older than him. And uh, I'd downloaded this song at Adam's suggestion. <coughs> and, um, and, and Nathan explained to me about the girlfriend scenario. And I stopped and I looked at him and I said, so your, your situation with your girlfriend, because you deeply reg regretted breaking up with her, it was his initiation. I said, it's a little bit like that song written by that guy who goes by the name of Passenger, and the song's called Let It Go. Well, he stopped and he looked at me, and he had tears coming down his eyes. He goes, that's the only song I sing, because it's all about a, about a guy letting somebody go, and he didn't want to and he's now brokenhearted about it. And I'm like, God, you're so good, you know? Yeah, anyway, um, if I wasn't preaching a sermon, I'll tell you this story. Um, <laughs> two nights after I met Nathan, uh, he was in the top bunk. <laughs> and at four in the morning, the bunk gave way. <laughs> and he fell straight onto this little American lady underneath. And I said, Nathan's a monstrous guy. <laughs> I said, so what'd you do? He says, oh, I just packed my bag and, and I left at four in the morning. I said, why? He says, oh, I didn't want to be the fat American everybody was pointing at when the sun came up. <laughs> so I said, what'd you do? He says, I hightailed it out of town and got a day ahead of everybody else. So yeah, what I'm, what I'm, what I'm saying in all of this is that the spirit-led life is the only life to live. You know, it's the only life to live. And whether it's big or small, the situations that you find yourself in, we're wanting God to lead us. The other thing that I'm wanting you to be able to push into is um, as you do these studies, and we've got these books here for your small group leaders, um, your life group leaders to pick up here today, um, these studies over the next eight weeks, what we've focused on is how the book of Acts is really the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, and if you want a summary of the book of Acts, it goes like this. God breaks out over here, does something miraculous. The disciples run over and they go, it looks like God, we're good. And then God breaks out over here. <laughs> and it's like, Gentiles have been saved. Yeah, it looks like God as well. You know, and this is how the book of Acts works. What I want to see you experiencing and what I'd love to hear back from is how you're believing the highest for yourselves within your life group study areas or in your own family, wherever you might be working through this material. You see, the thing about the spirit falling out on all flesh is that it's all flesh, okay? And, the, and because, these, because we are a shame-free people, we have every right to be able to come to God and say, God, can I believe you for the highest? for myself or for my friend here I'm praying with? Can I trust you that today when we pray that your spirit will be powerful and present? See, that's the prayer. That's the prayer 
that was encompassed in the prophet Joel's prophecy. That was what he wanted to happen. He wanted you all to be able to prophesy. He wanted you all to be able to trust. You know, I don't read the book of Acts, which says, and uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit was given to Peter, and Peter became Holy Hands Harry, who everybody had to get a taste of to be able to see the Spirit of God fall. Does that make sense to you? What I'm saying here is that the Spirit fell, everybody got a taste of it. It wasn't Peter who singularly became that point of reference. And in the life of a church, my confidence in the Spirit of God is such that in your home, the Spirit of God will be powerful and present. And in your prayers, God will be manifest. He will be there. He will be willing to participate with whatever it is that God is saying to you to do. And it's not Holy Hands Harry who holds the keys to your spiritual well-being. My goal is to point you towards Jesus. My goal is to point you towards the Holy Spirit. The hope that I have is that as we go through the book of Acts, looking at Peter's life, you will be emboldened, you will be encouraged, you will be strengthened to be able to recognize that shame has been nailed to the cross. Therefore, nothing can hold you back from going to the Father and asking for the prayers of the miraculous to occur in your life. Is that okay? Is that what living by faith looks like? Just take one little step. I'm not going to do it. One little step. Okay? And that's all that's needed for your life to be totally transformed just one day at a time. Remember that. Give us our daily bread. You know, often we're praying prayers which we sort of expect if God answers, we'll be missionaries in Siberia within a week. Okay? That won't happen. One day at a time in your life, the lives of your children, the lives of those you love and share life with. That's what this is all about. And when the Spirit fell, let's look at the evidence of what happened. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's follow Peter to Pentecost. Let's follow him to Samaria. Let's follow him to the Gentiles. Let's follow him even into prison to be busted out again by God. Let's follow him so that we might learn what the spirit-led life is about through Peter's eyes. Yeah? Let me pray. Let's stand. God, we... um, we do feel like Peter. None of us confess to be very brave. None of us confess to be very wise. And yet a lot of us have got um, calluses on our hands from working hard in our lives, working hard at our faith. But Lord, we don't want to limit you to the experience that we've already had. We, we want to invite you to break in and be part of something special and new and life-giving to all of us. And God, no greater dream for me is to be able to hear the stories of of lives being challenged and transformed in their homes. So God, bless us, I pray, with your presence. 
Bless us, I pray, with your encouragement and allow your word to become alive and active in us. So we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just before we sing this song, on Tuesday, um, Michaela and I get a phone call from um, family in the church. Uh, there's a co-martua, Bobby Jack Kino, uh, who's been really unwell recently. And uh, we get a call to say, Bobby's um, in hospital, looks like he's going, going to be with Jesus. And so Michaela and I go up there and uh, the co-pop award and the family was there and there was a lot of crying. And I thought, oh man, he's already slipped away, you know? But he wasn't, he was there. He was just barely breathing. And we gathered around him and we prayed for him and read scripture over him. And, uh, and his wife came and spoke to me afterwards and said, look, we need to work out how we're gonna do a funeral on Mariah and these sorts of things. So yeah, that's fine. We'll do whatever's necessary. And so we left. Well, the next day, Michaela gets this uh, message on her phone. <laughs> and it's Bobby Jack talking to her. <laughs> hey, beautiful. Just thought I'd let you know that heaven didn't want me. <laughs> but no, no, quite literally. He had a vision of God and God said, we're not ready for you yet. And... Um, he said, I'd hope to be here on Sunday, but last night he didn't sleep too well. So, so anyway, um, God's still in the business of miracles. And um, God bless, God bless Bobby. Yeah. So, um, to be encouraged. So anyway, I'm going to disappear. I've got to go do some walking. Uh, the next six weeks, you've got some fantastic preachers who are going to bring the word to you. Uh, and I just really look forward to hearing about what God has done in your life, in your homes, in your workplaces, in your families, because that's what this is all about. And if any of you want prayer for any reason, you can come to the front. We've got a prayer team here. I'll pray for you. And um, yeah, I'll leave you with the team here. I'll get off.